Stand with me. And that's what this series is all about. It's about deliverance, about God setting us free. It's about us coming out of those bondages and those chains that, we, that life seems to drive us into at times. And we are praying that God will do a powerful, powerful thing again in your life this morning. God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this season. I thank you for these next minutes together that we have. I pray, God, they'd be moments that would be life-changing for us. A transformation, Lord, would take place. Just as we read earlier in Advent, that we want to prepare, open up our hearts for the presence of Jesus right now. And so that's what we do. Thank you for the promise of your spirit this morning. Amen. You may be seated. The great escape. Last week, we, we talked about escaping from open wounds. And it's a fact I shared last Sunday morning that everyone gets wounded. Everyone will experience the pains of someone's words or circumstances, but not everyone will be delivered or escape the death grip of open wounds. Not everyone will be set free. Next week, we want to look at tormenting, escaping, tormenting failures. We want to give you permission next Sunday morning to fail. Some of you, that's good to hear that, isn't it? We never give ourselves permission to fail. But next Sunday, we're going to look at escaping that tormenting feeling that we have when we fail. And this morning, escape from living death. I found this article, it's just, just entitled, Fascinating Things on Old Tombstones. I thought that it might be good for me to start with it this morning, since we're talking about tombs. Harry Edsel Smith of Albany, New York, born 1903, died in 1942. Looked up the elevator shaft to see if the car was on the way down. It was. These are on tombstones. In Thurmont, Meriden Cemetery, here lies an atheist, <coughs> all dressed up and no place to go. Now, here's one from back in my home country in Nova Scotia, from Del East Dalhousie Cemetery. Here lies Ezekiel Elke, age 102, only the good die young. In New Mexico Cemetery, here lies Donnie, or Joy, sorry, Johnny, doesn't make any difference anyway, Johnny Yeast, pardon me for not rising. That's on his, on his tombstone. In Uniontown, Pennsylvania Cemetery, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. Silver City, Nevada Cemetery, here lays the kid. We planted him raw. He was quick on the trigger, but slow on the draw. I got more. I got more here. A lawyer. Here's a lawyer's epitaph in England. Sir John Strange. Here lies an honest lawyer, and that is strange. England, in a cemetery in England, on the 22nd of June, Jonathan Fiddle went out of tune. Massachusetts, in the 1880s, under the sod and under the trees, lies the body of Jonathan Pease. He is not here, there's only the pod. Pease shelled out and went to God. England, one in cemetery in England, Remember, man, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so shall you be. Remember this and follow me. Someone else wrote below it. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. 
the only one, but that's a goodie. So we're talking about what happens when you're living, but you've actually died inside. See, unless Jesus comes while we're alive, we're all going to make our way to the grave. It's the way of man. But many people die before they're put into the ground and laid to rest. Many people are walking corpses. Many are dead while they're still breathing, but the glow of life has been blown out. You look into their eyes and it's just, you do not see life there. In 1 Timothy 5 and verse 6, Paul spoke about the widow not living according to the purposes and the plans that God had for her. And he said that she was dead even while she lives. The lights are on, but nobody's home. The heart is beating, but there's no response. There's movement, but it's meaningless motion. What happened was the world killed her. The happenings that take place in the world, a worldly focus and influence from the world affected her and it killed her and she, while she lived and while she breathed. My wife knew what I was going to be speaking on this morning. <clears throat> and so last Sunday evening, she said to me that you ought to read Luke chapter 8 and verse 22 and the following verses in preparation for your sermon prep the next morning, which is always on Monday. Because she said, we're going to be looking at this on Tuesday evening in our ladies' Bible study. So I, I read it last Sunday night. Man, you know, I kept reading it over and over. I had some other thoughts that I was going to be putting together uh, for my sermon on Monday morning. But I kept reading this over and over again. It began to just kind of get a grip on me. And I thought, you know, there's something here that, that, that I need to share. And so... I decided I'd make this my text for this morning. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 33. Take your Bibles or you can follow on the PowerPoint. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 33, and then 38 to 39. We read these words. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When, Jesus saw, when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though it was, he was chained in hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken the chains and had been driven by the demons into solitary places. Sad condition he was in. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them. And he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus. Jesus was on his way, moving, going, and he said, can I go with you? Jesus said, I want you to return home. And when you return home, tell how much God has done for you. The man immediately went away, told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. He had an incredible Miracle to share. Now, a lot of people, as we read that text, it's troubling for some because 
we demon possession. And it's disturbing to some. We don't like to talk about demon possession. Because there's things in there that bother us. And we, but it, demon possession is real. Demon possession is a reality. The truth is the enemy wants to cheat and lie and get you in bondage and hold you down and destroy your life. He wants to possess you so he can control you and do what he wants to do through you. It's real. So we read about demon possession. We read about the demons going into the pigs and going into the ravine and drowning. And, but there's more to this story than that. And I want to point your attention to, to this little story. Jesus and the disciples crossed the lake to the other side. And there they meet this, not only a demon-possessed man, but get the picture, he's naked. So we, we meet Jesus immediately, and he meets a naked, demon-possessed man running between the tombstones. Get the picture? And he meets Jesus. Now, what I found interesting as I read this passage over and over again is that this man, the Bible says he was from a nearby town. So he was from a nearby town, but that is not where he was living. He's from a particular town, but he was living among the tombstones. And as I thought of that, I thought living among the tombstones, but from a nearby town, could it be that as he thought back to living upon or living in that nearby town, those were the good old days. This was not a good season for this man living among, running among the tombstones naked. It's not a great time for him. Not something that no one should be doing. But anyways, but he thought back to the good old days when he lived in his house and he lived in a nearby town. The joyous days, the lively days, the days when he was alive, really alive. No longer living there anymore. Now he was living among the tombstones. Graveyard living, graveyard thinking, graveyard actions, graveyard vocabulary. It was gray. It was doom and gloom. It was death. He was breathing, but he was actually dead inside. <clears throat> and how many of you might be here this morning and you can identify with this man? Because you can maybe say to yourself, well, I feel like at times and maybe even now I'm living among the tombstones. You can pinch me, I'll hurt. You can look at my chest and it goes out and in, I'm breathing. You can touch my hands and my cheeks and they're warm. I'm alive, but inside I have died. And I find that I'm living among those tombstones. I have tombstone thinking. I have tombstone planning. I have tombstone expressions. My words are tombstone speaking. I have tombstone attitudes. You're dead while you live. Terrible state to be in. And so this morning, let me say there are many things that can drive you to being dead on your feet. Constant worry, which we dealt with. If you don't deal with it, it'll drive you to the tombstones. And if you don't deal with open wounds, it can drive you to the tombstones. Loss of hope. Many things can drive us to the graveyards in our lives. Loss of a loved one. A divorce, going through a painful divorce. Something dies on the inside. You go to work every day, but something has died. Even retirement. We look forward to retirement and we, we, we buy our RSPs and we look forward to the day. Here's the day. It's three years. It's two years. It's one year. And so we retire. 
They tell us that seven or eight years into retirement that we can actually go into such a deep depression that we just want to die. No hope. And so we expect these to be the great old days. They're going to, the great mature days, I should say. The great mature days, I'm going to retire, but it can send you into a life of despair, even that. Or a loss of job, loss of purpose. Many things can drive us into the graveyards and tombstones of life. Unresolved issues and conflict, a nervous breakdown, burnout. It can remove you from your lively, happy home that you once knew and drive you and cause you to roam amongst the lifeless tombstones. Now, this man in Luke chapter 8 was set free. Jesus completely set him free from these demons, these possessions that he had. And he told him, I want you. He probably said, go get some clothes on, put some clothes on and go home to your nearby town. And I want you now to profess what I have done for you. I want you to share your magnificent and your miraculous testimony. I want others to hear what I've done. This morning, you too can have a great escape story. This morning can be the first day of the rest of your life. Today, you can choose to escape from living among the tombstones. Death before your time is a sad condition. I'm reminded of the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 1. Jesus had some words to say to the church, so I want to focus on the church for a moment. And he said this to the church in Sardis. He said, you are trying to live on a past reputation. And he began to look to the past and he said, you did have a name. You were once well known for being alive, but really I want you to know that you're dead. And you know it's, that wasn't news to them. They knew they were dead. The only thing they didn't have was the funeral service. But I wonder what caused the church to lose its life. Whatever causes a church to lose its life. I wonder what caused the church to, to get to a point where they had to prop themselves up to try and make it look good. Whatever caused them to get to that point. I wonder what caused the church to begin to go through just the motions and to go through the mechanical. And so they, they, they got the ministry rolling and they got people involved. And so something has died, but we've got to keep it going prop them up, keep them going. And we all know of ministries sometimes that end up that way. They once had a great, great life. There was lots of purpose, lots of drive, but somehow the ministry dried up. Somehow the focus dried up and they are trying to prop it up. You can't do it for very long. You can't do it for very long. Whatever caused the church to lose the heartbeat and to lose that great adrenaline rush, there's nothing like a lively church that brings some adrenaline to you. I want you to know that I need this tree. You know, we put this on year after year. This is year seven. Seven is a perfect number in the Bible. This is going to be a great year. But every year I say that. Year eight, that's going to be the great year, isn't it? But you know something, we put this on, but this is a great adrenaline rush. It gives us purpose. It points us to why we're doing it. We have a reason for doing this. It's not just for us. Of course it's not for us. It's for our city. It's for the surrounding communities. It's so the gospel may go forward in song and word. And so lives will be changed. It's not about us or for us. 
is to reach out there to touch people's lives for eternity's sake. But I want you to know that I need this tree. You know why I need this tree? Because it fuels me. It keeps me alive. I was going to stand in here this morning, put the pulpit over here. And I said, no, that looks really cheesy. <laughs> Does it? Doesn't matter. I think I might do that next year for a year eight. It's going to be great. I need you, tree. Because it just, it's a greater, every church needs adrenaline. Every church needs life. This is good for this church. There's so many things come back to us as a result of us doing this. Oh, it puts, brings us together as purpose. Many, many things. Helps keep our church alive. Remember Samson? Judges chapter 16 and verse 20, when Delilah gave him a nice haircut, he said, oh, you know, that's no problem. I'll go out and do as I've always done before. I'll break these ropes, but he couldn't break them. Something departed from him. The life-giving spirit of God was gone through carelessness on his part. Going through the motions couldn't cut it for long. For a while, he didn't even realize something was missing. Sometimes there are churches like that. We don't know. Something's missing, but in fact, someone said that. We've lost it, and we don't know how to get it back. pastor said one time about his church many, many years ago. We've lost something in our church, and we don't know how to get it back. Well, Samson didn't know for a bit that he was missing something, and he didn't have that usual strength he once had, and so... He found himself living and led to the tombstones. Last Sunday, we dedicated seven children to the Lord. Seven little ones in our services. And children in the church are a sign of life, aren't they? What a sign of life. To hear a little child crying in the background. To go in the nursery and take out a diaper. Like, it's, it's a thrill, it's a joy. Church without children would not be very healthy. Our nursery is the way too small. Do you ever go down there sometimes? It's a bit full. We need a bigger nursery. You know what that is? That's a, we have a problem. That's a sign of life. The carpet in the foyer, if you notice, it always needs to be clean. Coffee stains and there's food stains. There's mud stains. Can I tell you this morning, that is a sign of life. You know what death says? Death says that a permanent clean carpet is more important than a cleaning, a stained one. Give me a stained, dirty, worn-out carpet any time. It's a sign of life in the church. It's a sign that there's breathing taking place in the body of Christ. Moving to two services is a sign of life and growth. Not only is it stretching us, but it is actually fueling us. It's giving us more life the more we give out the more God gives back to us. Spanish church, Chinese study on Friday nights, and Ukrainian services is a sign of life. Thank God for the different nationalities coming to our church and the new faces each Sunday. It's a sign of life. Comments from people saying on Sunday mornings how God has ministered to their spirits and how God has transformed their lives and they can get up and get going and, and feel that God has really touched them. It's a sign of life. It's a sign that God is doing something in our midst. And how about missions giving and 
missions thinking and opportunities to bless, giving away all those shoeboxes through Operation Christmas Child, and always encouraging our church to reach out, to look out, to give out. It's a sign of life. The more we bless others, the more we look outside, the more God will infuse us with life. The more God will breathe into our church life that we need to be effective. Well, if there's one thing that, that keeps me as a pastor extremely motivated, it is the fear of living death. It really is. A, I think it's a healthy fear. A healthy fear of living death. The worst thing that could happen to us as a church is that we slip into some sort of a comfort zone. Or we slip into relaxation of thinking. Or we slip into a coasting mentality. And we let down our guard. And then we try to do as we've always done. Well, we've always done this. Well, we've always had this. Well, it was always this time. Someone will come to us at some point and say, hey, you're dead. God forbid that we ever slip into comfort zones. I believe that death stands at every threshold, every church threshold door, waiting to be invited to come so the church can be lived among the tombstones. So a church can actually die. And will not do anything significant for the kingdom doesn't get you very far when there's no life. And last week I began to think of the season that we're in. A fruitful, great season for our church. Thank God for life. But I caution you as a body of Christ, let's never become relaxed. Let's never take the blessings of God for granted. Let us just look at this and say, God, you're just giving us more adrenaline more life, to do greater things for the kingdom. I've always said, the church of Jesus Christ ought to be bigger than any walls. Bigger than any facility. Jesus said that I've come, that you might have life. And Jesus said that I will build the church, and the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. And if we cling on to Jesus, and we reach out to him, and tap into his power source, we can be builders with Jesus. He can use us to build the church. So Paul said, try to excel. Try to excel the gifts that build up the church. Have you tried that lately? Have you got before the Lord in prayer and said, God, the gifts are for the church. And I want to excel in the gifts. Why? Because I want to see the church built up. Paul said, to Him be glory in the church. That ought to be our greatest cry. Lord, we want Your glory, not man's glory, not our glory, not our agendas. We want the glory of God to fill the church, to fill the tree, to fill every presentation of the singing Christmas tree this year. We want the glory of God. Paul also said in Ephesians 5.23, as Christ is the head of the church, if He gets removed from the head of the church, we're in trouble. And then Paul also said, God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is the only hope for our nation. The only hope. Let's make sure that we keep the church of Jesus Christ alive and kicking and growing and moving. And that happens by keeping ourselves close to Jesus. 
And so I find it amazing what Jesus does in Revelation chapter 3 when he speaks about Sardis and he, he wants to give them a wake-up call. And so he, he, in five verses, he spent the next five verses in Revelation chapter 3 sounding the call. He says, wake up. He says, strengthen what remains. He said, there's not much left here. He's saying to the church, but there is some signs of life. And why don't you get that together and strengthen what remains, and you'll see what will happen. He said, remember what you have received and heard. If you want to go ahead, it's good to go back. Go back to remember the cross. Go back to remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. Go back to remember the deliverance that he brought you through maybe 10, 20 years ago. He said, obey. He said, repent. He said, he who overcomes will be dressed in white. And I love this part. If you have an ear, which is everyone. If you have an ear, let him hear. Jesus never intended for the church in Sardis to be lowered six feet into the ground. That was never his intent. Now let's get back to us. Jesus never intended for anyone to be dead on their feet and to become a walking corpse. So this morning... How can you escape living death today? How can you escape living among the tombstones? Two quick things. Number one, fall at the feet of Jesus. I mean, you cannot get away from this particular point found in this little passage. That's exactly what this demon-possessed man did. He fell at the feet of Jesus. It was an act of surrender. It was a cry for help. Don't you think he was tired of being seized? He was tired of the death chains. He was tired of being tormented. He was tired of tombstone fellowship. Not too inspiring to have tombstone fellowship running around naked. I can imagine that he's, I'm ready for change. And you have to be ready for change. And when you're going through a difficult season and things have mounted up against you, you're caught in a difficult, bad habit, one of the first questions oftentimes people are asked is, are you willing to change? Do you want to change? If you don't want to change, there will be no change. You have to be so sick of it that you're ready to start a new life. You're ready to tap into Jesus. You're ready to let Jesus take control of your life. He'll set you free. But if you don't want to change, this man wanted to change. He's so sick of the death. Romans 4 verse 17 says, God gives life to the dead. Call upon me, he said, I'll answer you and show you great, marvelous, wonderful things. You know something that shows up sometimes in the mirror? You look in the mirror and say, that's Scripture. Call upon me, I'll show you great and marvelous and wonderful things. And you look in the mirror, this is what Jesus wants to do in me. So I can have life. God is the God of miracles. God still answers prayer. Number one, if you want to escape living death, living among the tombstones, fall at the feet of Jesus. Number two, keep your tomorrows alive. Keep your tomorrows alive. What did Jesus tell this resurrected man to do after he set him free? He said, I want you to go now and I want you to tell your story. You don't keep it to yourself. You go back to your town, tell the story. The hymn writer said, I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. 
of His mercy, of His grace, of His ability to set me free, of His ability to put a smile on my face and to put life in my eyes when people look into my eyes. I love to tell a story. My father loved to tell a story of how God set him free from the horrors, horrors of alcoholism. He'd tell it every chance he could. What happens when you work at breathing the breath of hot air into a balloon? You work at it. What you do is you build up a great reserve. You build up such a great reserve that it breathes back at you with greater force, doesn't it? It'll feed you. It'll feel you. It'll motivate you. And that's what it's like. You breathe into it. Work at it. Keep your tomorrows alive. So much more will come back. Remember when Jesus, in Luke, John, chapter 20, verse 22, we read that he breathed upon the disciples. He said, I breathe upon you. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he wanted them to be inflated with power, not with pride, but inflated with power so they could go and do great things for the Lord. He knew that as they give out, as they reach out, as they deliver the life-changing word, that they'd get so much life back in return. They would be the sent ones. The more they focused on the lost, the more life power they received. The same for us. You're struggling with death among the tombstones. Do something for the Lord. Look for tomorrow. Look for a tomorrow. Look for something you can do of significance next week. Keep your tomorrows alive. Why do you think Jesus gave the church the Great Commission? He gave the church the Great Commission because it keeps our tomorrows alive. Not only that, but it keeps the church healthy. Sometimes churches have nothing to do. Sometimes there's no encouragement from the pulpit for the congregation to get out and do ministry. And so they just look at each other. They come on Sunday, they sing, but look at each other. There's no focus upon the fields, they look at each other. Okay, I see that two by four in your eye. I want to pick at it. And we we start clubbing each other. That's a sign of a church that has nothing to do. It's a sign of death. Turn on each other. We've got to look at the field. So Jesus gave the church life. He said, go look at the field. The Great Commission, go into all the world. He said, put up a singing Christmas tree. I'm sure he told us that somewhere. Put up a tree. Sing some carols. Sing some songs. Tell about me. They'll come. And they do come. And they hear. Why do you think Jesus told the church to be a blessing? Because he wanted the church to have a future. It keeps our tomorrows alive. Why do you think the Israelites may ever made it out of the tombstones of Egypt? Because Moses gave them a tomorrow. Moses, and it was difficult for him, but he said... Guys, come on, let's go. Let's head for the promised land. Don't stay here, tombstone living. Deliverance is coming. Let's go. He kept their tomorrows alive. Why do you think Jesus made it through the cross, humanly speaking, because he was human as well as divine? It's because the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He kept his tomorrow alive. And that's why we... Love doing the singing Christmas tree. Do you know this year we have 55 adults in the choir. we got 40 children. 40 children. 
I don't know, we can't go much higher. So we're going out. I was thinking this morning during worship, sorry, but I was thinking of other things. I thought we could maybe put a little one out here for little babies. Have it this high, have little babies. Maybe that'll be year eight when it's going to be great. Now if I can get off here without falling because I'm sore from yesterday. Back to my comfort zone. Keeps us alive. I love the tree. I love what it's all about. But I've said that before. But tomorrow is such a wonderful thought. Go home when you go today and just think about tomorrow. Think about the Word. Think of the possibilities that tomorrow brings in your mind. Plan big. Work on your dreams and pray over your dreams and ignite your dreams and set your dreams in motion. Think of tomorrow. Whatever it takes, don't let anything or anyone rob you of your tomorrows. See, God gives us all the power, all the resources we need to ensure this and to make sure that we have life. Gave us His Holy Spirit. Gave us His inspired Word. Gave us His anointing. Gave us His power. We have everything we need. Whatever it takes. See, it's our choice if we want to be a slave to our hurts. It's your choice if you want to be a slave to your past, which you have no hope of changing anyways. It's your choice if you want to be a slave to the pain that you go through at times emotionally. It's your choice if you want to be a slave to people that are wrong. Do you know how many people destroy other people? You want to be a slave to that? All you got to do is say, I refuse. And look to God. Don't let those things kill you. It'll kill you if you let it. Keep your tomorrows alive. I told you ministerially how I keep myself alive. I fear living death in the ministry, and so I keep, that keeps me motivated. Personally, I have other things, too, that keep me motivated and keep me moving for tomorrow. One of the ways I keep my tomorrows alive is I have more plans than I, than I think I'll ever be able to accomplish. More plans, more things out there that I want to do. I want to do this. I want to do that. And it keeps me looking down the road with great expectation every time I pull another wreck into my garage. And I've been known to pull a couple of them in there. Pull them in quick. Shut the door. Don't tell my wife. And then I get in it. I actually do this. Remember the show, My Mother, the Car? They are real. Cars are real people. Many years ago. I get in a chair, and I sit it, and I look at the damage. I said, we're going to have a great tomorrow. Tomorrow, we're going to get you fixed up. Tomorrow, things are going to change. Keeps my tomorrows alive. Do I have one in the garage now? Of course I do. Tomorrow. Keeps the tomorrows alive. How do you keep your tomorrows alive? Uh, my mother just turned 80 back in... Uh, October, I was born on her birthday, and she rejoiced. And so I know when my birthday is coming up that she has one. She just turned 80, and I spoke to her last week. Whenever I talked to my mother, being that she's 80, I said, Mom, how you feel? Oh, Mom, how you doing physically? What kind of medications are you on? You know, and uh, no aches and pain. No, I got no problems. Everything's fine. Last week I talked to her. I said, Mom, how's it going? Good, she said, but I'll tell you, Gary, I've got a problem. I said, what? She said, I'm tired. 
of my friends. All they talk about is funerals, operations, <laughs> medication. I'm tired. I don't want to hear that stuff. I'm living. And I said to myself, I want to be like my mom when I grow up. You're not supposed to take it that way. I'm five feet six on a good day. So, but she said, and you know, my mom is, she keeps her tomorrows alive and you're healthy in your mind. It, it affects the rest of your body. Medication she's on. Just recently, she's taken a little medication for high blood pressure. That's it. She go to the doctor. The doctor said, okay, what, give me all your medications that you're on. I'm only, none, none. How old are you, they say? The doctor says when she goes for her physical, she keeps her tomorrows alive. She walks every day. She's always got a smile on her face. Her husband, now I said first service, he's 89, but he's got to be 91 now. He still drives a bicycle. I don't know if he's driving in wintertime or not, but he drives it, painting his house. Aren't they, don't they inspire you? They inspire me. Inspire me. Stop talking about medications, funerals, and operations. But let me tell you about one I had here. No, no. I always tell my wife this hernia operation was worse than childbirth. But no, no, I won't say that here. Woo! Okay. Going for a close. Stand. Stand with It really is, though. It was really rough. Okay, worship team, you can bring us back into the presence of the Lord. We're going to close this morning, and if you need prayer, and somehow the message has spoken to you about escaping living death, we want to pray with you and agree with you and lift up your need before the Lord. What a great way to close by giving opportunity to remember each other in prayer. So as Tristan leads us in the song, if you'd like to receive ministry, just make your way to the front. Prayer teams, you can come right away and be ready should there be people that need prayer this morning. And then I'll close in prayer.